Wisdom is great, but if you don't apply it, it's worthless. Render My Money 2021 Session 7. Just to give a sort of verbal syllabus as to what we're going to be working on for the next six months, I want to go ahead and complete the Dave Ramsey courses. We really have three courses left. I may repeat the retirement, but I don't think I need to. I think we can talk about some other investment strategies. But we're going to do those three, one in July, August, and September. Then the last three months, we're going to do some application of the principles that were taught in the first six. Um, I think it's really important that we understand that, you know, wisdom is great, but if you don't apply it, it's worthless. So one of the things I wanted to do was to make sure that everyone was able to apply the strategies and principles that were taught. And just to give a sort of a explanation on the top three students, the top three students were students that completed and sent in all their budgets on time. They also saved a $1,000 emergency fund. They also did a financial statement. And they also made adjustments to their budgets that put them in a positive direction. So that consistency allowed them to be outlined. So we had three students. Uh, Phyllis Smith was one. Dee Dee Epps was the other one. The third one is a person who has an email, Manifest My Life, I think it is. But she never signed her name. I emailed her, like, what is your name? <laughs> so I don't know who she is, but she was very diligent. And that's what I wanted to make it very simple. It was really just those people who followed the assignments and got them in on a timely basis. And then at the end, they sent it in. And I don't know if they saved, but they said they saved $1,000, which was already required. But the biggest thing is, is that as you move through your financial journey, the ability to make the pivots, the adjustments as to what you need to do to align yourself with your goal. So when we talked about in the beginning of setting a vision, One of the things I want us, really everybody to understand is that I learned this in golf, but the brain does not understand negative. You know, think about this. A lot of times a person will go through an experience, like I read an article about a young lady who went through an experience of her parents always being heavily stressed about money. And so as she got older, one of her visions or things she always said, I don't want to be stressed for money. So a lot of times we may set our vision with a negative, I don't want. I don't want to be broke. I don't want... Now, that's a motivation, but that's not your vision. It's just like you ask somebody, hey, where you want to go eat? They say, well, I don't want McDonald's, and I don't want Popeye's, but that doesn't tell you what they want. And one thing we have to understand is when we speak, both verbally and in our spirit, we put things in action. So I want everybody to to go and look at their visions and make sure, even though if you have the motivation as to why you're moving this direction, you have a direct thing that's positive. In golf, you can be on a fairway, and it can be water to the right and out of bounds to the left. If you get on that tee and you say, man, I sure don't want to go in the water, guess where your ball going? Or you say, I sure don't want to go out of bounds. Please don't let me go out of bounds. You're going out of bounds. But if you get there and say, I am going to put this ball right down the middle. That's all you're thinking about. It goes right down the middle. That's the power that we inherited from our maker. He said, let there be light. And there was light. So make sure when you do these visions, you put down exactly what you want. Okay? So today, the lesson is going to be on insurance. I went over this as the last lesson, but there were some things dealing with medical insurance that I want everybody to hear. Because when we look at our expenses, 
Medical insurance is one of the top expenses. Now, a lot of us work and we don't pay the full amount, but our employers are paying 40 and 50%. But still, sometimes we're paying four or $500 a month in insurance. So you need to know how to make that very, very efficient, pay the least amount you can to get the coverage you need. And so I'm going to play this video. Now, the people at home that are watching, you won't get a picture, but you will be able to listen. And we're going to have a discussion afterwards. But before I do that, I also want to show a two-minute commercial on a new mobile software for budgeting. And I got this from Pastor James, and I looked at it, and I thought it was the best thing. One thing I have to say about the people who submitted, two of the three were doing all their budgeting on paper. Now, that's good, but that's not the best. That's not optimal. Because one thing we find is that we need to direct every dime that we make. We need to add those coins. You know, you know, pennies make nickels, nickels make dimes, dimes make quarters, quarters make dollars, dollars make five dollars, twenty. We need to direct all our money. And the more efficient and exact we can get with how we're spending our money, the more we can put towards our net worth, building assets. So I'm going to play this short video. The app is called Cube, Q-U-B-E. And it incorporates both your phone, a cube card, and your bank account. So like when you're making a purchase, you put in your phone right there how much your purchase is. And then you put in the card. Then it goes back to your phone and does all the subtraction adding to what your goal is. But the great thing about it, it's an envelope system. So you know how we said we need to spend this much on clothing, we need to spend this much on gas. As soon as you get out of budget, you will know. And you won't have to wait till the end of the month. So go ahead and play the video, and for next year, I'm going to require this, but I'm not going to require it from you, you can't come. But I, I, I just highly, highly, highly recommend that you do this. Now, if you have something that's digital that you can see what's going on throughout the month, then fine. But the people who sent their budgets in, they were all on paper, and they were good budgets, but it's hard to be consistent with that. It's hard to be consistent, you know? And so this is a good one, so can you go ahead and play it? Budgeting, it sucks. Honey, ready to look at the budget? Um, no. You need Cube, the first and only proactive budgeting smart spending app card combo. So, how does it work? Please tell me it's easy. Okay, it's easy. First, you'll connect your bank, allowing you to deposit your money. Next, you split your money into different spending cubes, according to your budget, goals, and lifestyle. Cubes are like piggy banks with purpose. One for your mortgage, groceries, travel, shoes, whatever. And they all connect seamlessly to your cube card. Don't worry, it works just like a normal card, except better. Because it puts you in control of your individual spending habits, whatever those may be. Reminding you of your goals, allowing you to have to make a conscious choice before spending. You know what? Never mind. That way, you can make real progress, saving for what you really want. This is so much better than shoes. Thanks, Cube. Cube includes all kinds of other great features, like spending accountability for partners, 
automatic debt payoff, and access to cute kid cards. You'll love the ease and control. They'll love the freedom. Automate your budget, spend with purpose, pay off your debt, and save for your goals. Cube, the proactive budgeting smart spending app card combo. So that's a very good system. But I had a question regarding the budget. And that question was, if I have a budget, does that mean I will have money to pay my bills? And the question is, if you maintain and supply your budget on both income and expenses, you will, if you follow it. But just like this system, if you override it, you know, it's not going to work. If something happens to your income, a budget is not going to fix it. It's just going to tell you you don't have any money. The thing about a budget, it allows you to organize and for you to dictate where your money is being spent. So I wanted to recommend that because it's very simple. It's very fluid, easy, because the card allows you to, when you make the purchase, you know, if you pull it from your bank or your credit card, it will allow you to know exactly what you're spending as to what you say you're going to spend on more items than you can put on paper. Okay? One question. Uh-huh. Well, it depends on how you're spending your money. You can connect multiple banks, but, you know, if you got three different banks, I hope, you know. Okay. Okay, so you have a say. So normally you spend your spending out of one account. So that's the only one you need to put in cube. You can put your savings on there just as what you have in savings or cash and assets. If you're not doing transaction out of an account, you don't need to put it on there. Yeah, okay. So we're going to go ahead and play this videotape. This is Dave Ramsey. It is on the role of insurance. So we're going to play that, and then we're going to have a brief discussion after. Oh, again, those at home, you can hear it, but you're not going to be able to see. You're just going to see this green screen right here. We'll work on that for next month. Life happens. Bad things happen. 
And you can afford to do that if you have baby step three done, your fully funded emergency fund of three to six months of expenses. Now, higher deductibles are not always worth the money. So you have to do a little bit of math. It's called a break-even analysis. Here's how it works. Let's pretend on your auto insurance you had a $250 deductible, and we were going to price out raising it to a $1,000 deductible. Well, that means you're going to take an extra $750 in risk. Got it? Say yes. Yes. Now, if that's the case, and they come back and they say, hey, we're going to cut your premiums by $75. Well, we've taken $750 worth of risk for $75 a year in savings. $750 divided by $75 is 10 years we've got to go without anything happening and hitting this deductible. Do you see how I did that? Say yeah. Okay. And, and, and that's too long. So we probably wouldn't do that on an auto insurance situation. You're probably going to get some kind of a bump or a ding or something in a 10 year period of time. So that's too long. But let's say it saved you $150 a year. Well, now you've got a five year break even, right? In the 750. So that's probably one we start to look at. So you say, how long, how much risk am I taking versus what am I saving? And how long have I got to go without an event occurring? And that tells you whether raising your deductible is going to be a good buy or not. Always carry adequate or even over adequate liability. Liability in homeowners insurance and auto insurance is the best buy. Personal liability is the best buy in all of insurance. And so people try to go, come on, they want to take a $150,000 liability. No, 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 no. Minimum of $500,000. Minimum of $500,000. Because if you get in a bad enough wreck that there's $100,000 involved, they're not coming after you for $100,000. They're coming after you for a million. And so that's a bad wreck. That's a bad situation that something's happened. And people don't fool around for $100,000 in lawsuits in those situations. So go ahead and take that half a million and price out the difference in the 150 and a half million liability. You'll find it's very, very little. So that means after watching this lesson or attending this lesson, you've got to go back right now and check your liability and make sure it's high enough because that's the best buy. It's going to be just a few dollars more to have the proper level of liability. You can consider, if your cars are paid for, dropping the collision. Now, years ago, this used to be a lot more popular, but honestly, collision, now collision is when you tear up your car. That's not when you tear up somebody else's car. When you wreck your car fixing your car, and that's your collision, right? And honestly, competitive rates have caused that to be very affordable now, and even though I can afford to self-insure me tearing up my own car, for the coverage I get for what I pay, I'll go ahead and buy it in most cases. Now, if you, if you don't have your emergency fund, you've got to cover the car. Otherwise, you're going to be walking. All right? So even if you're driving a hoopty, you get hoopty insurance, right? Now, it, when it comes to homeowners and renters insurance, homeowners coverage has changed dramatically in the last couple of decades. Years ago, we used to have guaranteed replacement cost insurance. And homeowners coverage should be guaranteed replacement cost if at all possible. Very, very hard to find on homes under $500,000 these days. After several hurricane hits and other things, the, the insurance companies figured out a way that they could get their profits up, and that was by not covering everything. And what they do is now they cover the amount that they say, and, and it's called extended replacement cost insurance. 
And so that if you get a $200,000 home, you buy $200,000 worth of insurance, they'll extend it only so far above that. So you buy the home for $200,000, you come back a few years later, the thing's worth $500,000. You never really fixed your insurance, you just kept paying it, and it burns down. You don't have $500,000 in coverage. You got $200,000 in coverage plus whatever extension they've given you. The maximum is about 50%. And so that $200,000 home probably has $300,000 maximum in coverage unless you've gone back with your insurance agent and raised it and kept it updated. So you can end up without full coverage because of the way these new policies are written. So I'm really not a fan of them, but that's mainly what's out there on homes under a half million. Now, if you're a renter and you're in an apartment or renting a home or something like that, you need renter's insurance. This is contents insurance. It covers your stuff that's in the rental property in case of a fire, in case of a, a weather event, or in case of theft. It's very inexpensive. A couple of hundred bucks in most areas, about $20,000 worth of coverage. So if you're a, a newlywed couple or something like that, get renter's insurance. Get renter's insurance because you'll come home that front door will be swinging. Somebody kicked it open, took all your stuff out of there, and you got nothing because you wouldn't pay $14 bucks a month. Get renter's insurance. As a landlord, I owned a bunch of rental property, and many, many years ago, I had some rental property. And one of the saddest things I'll, I'll never forget was we had this, this nice little brick house. It wasn't anything fancy, but there was a guy in there. There was a hard-working guy living there, and they lived there about three months. And I got a call one night, and, and the thing was on fire. And, and I went over there, and, of course, the family got out safe. Everybody was safe, thank goodness. And um, the next morning, we're going over there. It's a total loss. All their stuff's burned. My house is burned down. It was just a, you know, a fire's a really sad thing anyway. And I'll never forget standing in the front yard with that guy, and he's really having a hard day, obviously. And he says, so Dave, when are we going to get our check for our furniture? I said, uh, you're not, unless you have renter's insurance. Well, you guys, the landlord, you have to cover our stuff. I said, no, not in any state. As a matter of fact, not only do I not have to, I can't because I don't own your stuff, so I don't have what's called an insurable interest in your stuff, so I can't insure your things. And I watched as it dawned on him that I really was telling the truth and all of his stuff was gone. And I will never forget that man's face when someone's talking about renter's insurance. Always have renter's insurance. An umbrella policy, an umbrella liability policy is a great buy once you begin to build some wealth. Once you begin to get some things moving where you've got, a, you've got some retirement, you've got some mutual funds, you've got some equity in your home and some things like that, now you want to start to get even more liability. Now remember, we set a half a million dollar limit on your homeowners, a half a million dollar limit over here on your auto, and the liability umbrella attaches to the top of that and you can add another million in coverage, another $1 million in liability coverage for, in most states, somewhere around $200 to $300 a year. Very, very inexpensive. And a great buy for those of you that have already done well. But later on, remember, if you're starting to do well, go ahead and get that. Because, again, a couple of hundred bucks and you got another $1 million in coverage. It's a very, very good idea. Health insurance, the number one cause of bankruptcy in North America today is not credit cards. They are number two. Number one is health insurance or a lack of health insurance coverage. Health insurance coverage with great big deductibles and 80-20 copays and no emergency fund is usually what it is. Medical bills. 
Number one cause of bankruptcy. And it's not people that are uninsured as much as you would think. It's people that have insurance that have a huge event and they didn't have good coverage. They didn't understand their coverage and what was going on. So let's look at it for a second. 69% of U.S. workers have something paid by their employer towards health insurance at the time we're taping this video. Of course, that's up in the air. There's a lot of politics around the issue of health insurance, a lot of things going on. So always check our website for updates. We can always tell you what's going on. We'll have the latest and greatest info. We're cutting edge folks. And you can always go online for tools there and keep, keep up to date with everything that's going on. With health insurance, the same thing applies. You increase your deductible and or your co-insurance amount to get your premiums down. I'm trying to cause you to not pay all your money out in insurance premiums and only cover the big stuff. We're going to cover the little stuff with the emergency fund and with the budget because we're going to use our money to do that. So a $250 deductible, if you are paying for some or all of your own health insurance, is not affordable for most families anymore. What you've got to be real careful with there is you can go ahead and raise that deductible up to 1000 Most of those policies have what's called an 80-20 copay, which means after that $1,000 deductible, that of course the insurance company is going to pay 80% of everything after that, and you're going to pay 20% of everything after that. But let's keep in mind what that looks like. If it's a $100,000 event, that means you're going to have $21,000 out of pocket. Your $1,000 deductible plus your 20% of the hundred grand. You have $21,000 out of pocket on a $100,000 event. And you and I know you can go to the hospital and run up $100,000 just like that. So you need to think about this is where this emergency fund comes into play. And you think about how you're facing these different things. Now, you can increase your stop loss as well. Now, stop losses, after a certain amount out of your pocket, they pick up everything. Some of those PTOs I'm talking about might have a $10,000 stop loss. And so it's $1,000 deductible, 80-20 until $10,000 is out of your pocket. It's your out of pocket, then they pick up 100% after that. So learn what your stop loss is. I will tell you, that's one I wouldn't tinker with. I'll tinker with the deductible and raise it. I wouldn't mess with the stop loss. You can even tinker on some policies with the 80-20 and do a 70-30, which means you're accepting 30% of the risk there. But again, you got to add up what that's going to amount to and what is the savings you get for that. If it's just a few dollars, I'm going to let them take that extra risk. But if, if it really chops my health insurance, my health insurance is driving me into the poorhouse, and I can really chop it by going 70-30 and our family's pretty healthy, maybe we need to look at that. So stop loss is one I really wouldn't mess with, but you need to know what it is. Now, the other thing you don't want to do is you never decrease your maximum pay, their maximum pay. The insurance company will have a, an amount that says after a million dollars, we're out. Or after a half million dollars, we're out. You never decrease that down in order to save. That's the end we're trying to cover. The little stuff you're covering, we're letting them cover the big stuff. And so we don't take their million dollar and they're out or their two million dollar and they're out and decrease it down to save. That's not the way to save. Leave that one alone. So never decrease the maximum pay which is what the insurance company passed up is obligated to pay maximum. So if you get into a thing where you've got twins and a NICU unit and you run up through a million dollars, which can happen, then, then you, you know they're going to keep paying all the way up through there. But if you cut that down to half a million, you can bust through that number pretty quick in a situation like that. And all of a sudden, you're on the hook for three, four hundred grand. This situation is bankrupted, most people then. 
And, and so you want that maximum pay to be on them. Now, see if an HSA, a health savings account, would make sense for your specific situation. The HSA works like this. I love the HSA. I have an HSA on me. I offer three plans through our company for our team members, one PPO and two HSA option, options. That's how much I think of this plan. Now, the HSA is, is called the Health Savings Account. And the way it works is this, very high deductible, and then it pays 100%. And it's about two-thirds as much. So if you, if you on a PPO, if you'd be paying $500, your HSA is probably going to be about $300 a month. It's going to save you that much in premiums. But it's not a $1,000 deductible, it's a $5,000 deductible. But after $5,000, it pays 100%. It's not 80-20. So here's the way that works. If you're pretty healthy, that's a great deal for you. If all you're doing is doing the occasional flu, going to the doc kind of thing, and that kind of stuff, or if you're really, really sick, because you're going to blow through the 5000 real quick, and then 100% after that. And it's going to make, and you only pay 300 bucks instead of 500 bucks a month for it. So it's going to make a lot of sense if you're healthy or you're real sick. In the middle, it's not so good because you can, you know, you can get up there in that three, four thousand dollar range, burning through that deductible, and that 200 dollar difference between 300 premiums and 500 premiums doesn't cover that difference. You see, so you want the deductible. You, you want to understand with the HSA. You got the big deductible, smaller premiums, and 100 percent payout. And the other thing you're allowed to do then is you're allowed to save up to your deductible into a savings account every year called a health savings account. The amount of money you put in there is tax deductible. So it's like a health insurance IRA, if you will, called an HSA. And so while we saved 200 bucks on the premiums, we took more risk on the deductible and we can throw money over here and create a tax deduction up to $5,000 or up to the deductible plan that you sign up for. So you get a tax deduction and you can use that money in that savings account anytime to cover medical expenses. So if you chunk your deductible in there pretty quick, you can cover the whole. It's kind of like a beefed up emergency fund that the government costs you to not pay taxes on. Then you're saving money big time on your premiums. And that's been the net result to us. And we've actually never even used the savings account portion of it to, to pay bills with. We just let it build up. So I've got like an extra $5,000 a year I can stick over there and keep taxes off of it and let it grow. And then we're just, you know, we pay for the pediatrician or we pay for the dermatologist or whatever, you know, that we go to. So, again, the HSA is a great plan for families that are pretty healthy and doing pretty well. If you got kind of chronic stuff going on, probably not going to work so well for you. The HSA is a tax-sheltered savings account for medical expenses that works with a high-deductible insurance policy. It creates a 100% tax deduction on the amount you put in there. Now, let's look at disability insurance. Disability insurance it is designed to replace income lost due to a short-term or a permanent disability. Now, one more time. We are not covering the little things tonight. We're covering the big things. Say big things. Short-term disability is a little thing. You're off from work for three months because something happened. That's a little thing. You can figure out a way to work through that stuff. So don't buy short-term disability. We're buying only long-term disability. Permanent disability. I'm unable to work because of whatever happened. And that's the one that scares you. 
And let me tell you, that's the biggest risk we're going to talk about tonight, and most people think it's not. I was reading a survey the other day in one of the insurance magazines, and it said that when surveyed, 2% of Americans thought that they would ever face a disability, a permanent disability during their life. And the truth is, 30% will face a permanent disability of some kind, either partial or complete disability. One-third of Americans will face that. And only two, and people think only 2% will. So this is a big deal. Long-term disability insurance is the most underinsured area in a financial plan. I don't worry about dying. I'll be in heaven and sure I'll have a big pile of money. I worry about disability. Because I'll take a huge income cut and I still got to figure out a way to do whatever I'm doing at that point. Disability is the toughest area to cover. Get long-term disability. It is absolutely, absolutely necessary. 20-year-olds have a one in four chance of becoming disabled. I was doing a book signing a while back, and a young man came up to me, 28 years old. And he said, I just want to tell you thank you. And I said, for what? what what's the situation? He got this real serious look, and he said, well, I've got, and he named this name of whatever he's got this long. I don't know what it was. I'm not a medical person. And he said, it has, it has completely drained me. I'm completely unable to work. And I have been declared permanently disabled. I'm 28 years old. I made $100,000 a year. And he said, because I went through Financial Peace University, the next week after I went, after your role of insurance lesson, I went and got long-term disability insurance. I have an income for the rest of my life of $65,000 a year to replace my $100,000 income. And I got two little kids to raise, and I'm going to be able to do that because of this class. Thank you so much for making me go do that. So I wanted to tell you his story so that some of you do that. Some of you watching this video go do that right now. You check long-term disability insurance. Now, disability insurance is based more on your occupation than it is based on your age. Life insurance, health insurance, those kinds of things are based more on your age or your health, right? But if you're in a blue-collar setting where you're handling power equipment, that kind of a thing, it's going to be a lot more expensive for disability insurance than if you fly a desk for a living. Right? And, and so you've you, you got to know what you're facing when you go into that. The best place to get long-term disability insurance is at work. If you can buy it through work, it's going to be the cheapest there that it's going to be anywhere. The next best place would be through, through some kind of a trade organization or something like that. Maybe you're a home builder. The Home Builders Association might have a policy available through the association. That's usually going to be cheaper than the open market. With any kind of insurance, as you're shopping it, you want to find an independent insurance broker. This is one that doesn't work for one brand. And they'll shop all the brands, except for the guys who work for one brand. They'll shop all the brands and get you the best price on what's out there. And they're not married to one particular company. Those are called captive agents when they're with one company. So when you're shopping your disability, do it that way. But you're best off to get it through work. Your second best, there's some kind of trade association or something you belong to. Whatever it is, you can find it that way. And then lastly, just in the open market. So again, it's going to be based on what you do as much as it is your age. And so like if you're a high-rise window washer, you just can't get it. You don't need it anyway. It's the life insurance you need. But <laughs> oh, 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 oh. So try to buy disability insurance that pays if you cannot perform the job that you were educated or trained to do. That's called occupational or own-oc disability. Now, 
This is not available in the open market much anymore for your whole life, but it's available usually for the first two years. Let me explain that. If, if I became disabled and couldn't do my job, since I'm on the radio and speak for a living, that would be losing my voice. I might be completely able-bodied, except for my voice, and I wouldn't be able to do my job. Agreed? Say yes. yes. So if my own occupation would be denied to me due to the disability, I have own OCK disability for two years. So it will pay for two years due to the lost voice. After that, it's not going to pay. Get a job, Dave. That's what they're saying. All right? Uh, do something, even though you can't talk, and for some, many people, they would consider that a blessing. So, um, but, but I used to have own OCK back in the day for your whole life. It's very difficult to get that. Most of them limit own OCK for two years. After that, now, if I was totally disabled, say, you know, a car wreck and I was in a wheelchair or something like that, then I would get it no matter what, because I would be completely, permanently disabled, not just not able to do my job. That's the difference. So try to look for own OCK, because that allows you to time to, quote, unquote, get back on your feet and, and, and you know, get back into your job or arrange another career track to get on, depending on the type of disability that you face. But really study this stuff. Really get into it. It's very, very important to do that. Now, beware of short-term policies covering less than five years. A lot of those are sold as gimmicks at work, and there's no point in buying those. By the way, when you buy your long-term disability at work, always buy it with after-tax income. This is the only thing you'll ever hear me say that on, so listen careful. Everything else I want you to buy with pre-tax income. Once you do your 401k pre-tax, I'm going to do all that as much as I can. You buy your disability after tax. Because if you buy it before tax and you become disabled, your disability check is taxed. If you buy it with after-tax dollars, it's tax-free coming in. So always buy disability with after-tax dollars. Now, your coverage should be around 65% of your old income. So, if you make $100,000 a year, they ought to cover about $65,000. Now, some policies only cover 50% of your old income. The most I've seen in a long time is around 70%. So, but really, you think about it. After they take out Social Security, after they take out income taxes, your $100,000 looks a lot like seventy anyway. So, you are still basically got full coverage at that point. Now, a longer elimination period will lower your premium cost. Now, the elimination period in disability is your deductible. From the time you're declared disabled by the doctor, officially disabled, until you get your check is the elimination period. Not from the time the event occurred. From the time the doctor says, Dave is disabled, when do I start getting my checks? Most policies are a 90-day period of time. That's your deductible. You have a 90-day elimination period. If you want a cheaper disability policy, take 180 day, a six month elimination period, a bigger deductible. For me, I would go ahead and take the big deductible because I've got investments over here. I can make it six months. It's not six months I'm worried about, it's 25 years. The little stuff we cover, the big stuff they cover. Keep your premiums down. Always be thinking that way. Long term care insurance. Long term care insurance is for nursing home, assisted living facilities, or in-home care. Now this is an absolute must if you're 60 years old or older. How many of you in the room are over 60 years old? 
If you are healthy enough, get long-term care insurance now. How many of you have parents that are living that are over 60 years old? You need to sit down with them and have the talk about long-term care insurance. Because the biggest thing facing your generation, the biggest expense facing your generation, is not your kid's college. It's your parents' nursing home. And when you get hit by kids' college from one side and parents' nursing home from the other side, we are starting to call you the sandwich generation. And, and it's, it's, it is hammering families. Get long-term care insurance when you're 60. Don't buy it till you're 60. It's useless. You have a less than 1% chance of spending time in a nursing home before 60 years old. I wouldn't buy it at all. But the day you turn 60, buy yourself a birthday present, long-term care insurance, right then. And, and make sure of this, because here's what happens. 75% of you ladies will outlive your husbands. 75% of the ladies outlive their husbands. So we build up a nest egg of three, four $400,000, and, and you know, we're up here at 60, 70 years old, and, and, and you know, Pop gets sick, and Pop goes to the nursing home. Nursing home's 50 to 80 grand a year. I mean, we're taking the money out of that 400 grand pretty quick. It goes away. Pop lives just long enough to completely bankrupt the nest egg, and then he dies and leaves mom penniless in good health. You don't want to do that. That's the typical scenario. So make sure mom's taken care of. It's mostly what it is to get these things done. So have the talk with mom and dad. And it's difficult to have a money talk with mom and dad because you're facing what we call the powdered butt syndrome. Once someone has powdered your butt, they don't want your opinion about money or sex. <laughs> but you get to sit down anyway because guess who's going to have to pick this up? You may even have to pay for the long-term care insurance to make sure they're okay. Well, the government will take care of them. We'll just move all the stuff out of their name. And then they'll qualify for Medicaid. How many times have you heard that one? We, moved, we put Mama's house in our name so, so that Mama could qualify for Medicaid. What, did your mom spend her whole life on food stamps? Then why are you trying to get her qualified for welfare now? Medicaid nursing home is a welfare program for poor people. And, and let me help you with this. Moving assets out of someone's name in order to participate in a government welfare program is called fraud. And they are investigating it and they will prosecute you. They'll look back three years and undo some things. Other things they'll look back as far as five, even ten years and see if you're moving things around to falsely qualify for welfare. Government-provided nursing homes are done for poor people. They're not done for people who have a house with $800,000 worth of equity and just don't want to pay for it. That's fraud. And that's the way the government looks at it. And they look at it that way because it's fraud. <laughs> so, I think the saddest story of a long-term care insurance I've run into in a long time is I was talking to a buddy of mine a while back that's 65 years old at the time. His wife was 68. And he called me up and he was having a fit because somebody was trying to talk him into buying long-term care insurance. And I talked to him for a long time, about 30 minutes, trying to convince him because he just hates insurance people. You know, somebody that's hate all insurance people, you know, just run them off with a gun, you know, or whatever, every time they come around. And he's just like, I don't like buying this stuff, it's just a ripoff. I said, it's not a ripoff, it's financial planning. This is risk you need to transfer. And I kept talking to him about the statistics that, you know, 
it, it's amazing. The last six months of your life, your medical care call, it is the most expensive six months of your entire life. It may be more expensive than any entire decade that you've had. It, it, the last six months of someone's life is unbelievably expensive. And, and I just kept hammering with all these numbers and trying to convince him. And, and I thought I got him, but he got off the phone and he never went and bought it. A year later, his wife was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And she's in really good health. Translation for those of you that never dealt with Alzheimer's, she's going to live 10 to 12 years. Most of those years, he's not going to be able to provide her care. His unwillingness to pay a few dollars in that premium is going to cost him hundreds of thousands of dollars. That was at least a half a million dollar mistake for him. At least. And, and it wasn't a radio call. This is, I took 20 minutes with this guy trying to talk him into it. Couldn't do it, but it's sad. And he had the assets. He had the money, so he ended up writing the checks for her care. Very, very sad situation. Identity theft protection. Now, most of us know by now that identity theft is a huge problem out there. People losing our numbers. People stealing laptops with all kinds of numbers on them. Whether they're social security numbers, they steal your medical records, or whether they steal your credit. Identity theft of all kinds is really, really rampant out there. Almost 10 million people last year had their identity stolen. It's just a big, big problem. And so when it comes to identity theft insurance, how do we do that? It's not technically an insurance product. It's technically a protection product. Minor detail. But what you need to do is you need to not buy, don't buy identity theft protection that only provides credit report monitoring. You can do that yourself. You can order a copy of your credit bureau for free. That's not a big deal. It's not hard to do at all. And, and so you can monitor it yourself. You don't have to pay somebody to do that. What you do want is you want good protection. And good protection includes restoration services that assign a counselor to clean up the mess. And the problem with identity theft is not that you owe money because you don't owe money. Someone steals your checkbook and writes a bunch of checks. You don't, those checks aren't good. You didn't sign them. You're not liable for them. That money can't be taken out of your account. You're not liable for when someone signs your name falsely. But the problem is you have to spend an average of 600 hours cleaning up the mess and convincing all these companies that it really wasn't you with police reports and affidavits and all this. So get a counselor, get a protection plan where a caseworker is assigned to your case and does all of that work for you. That's the kind of identity theft protection I bought on me and I bought it for my whole family and I even bought it for my whole team. That's how big a deal it is because I don't want my team distracted with something like that. I want them working. Life insurance. Life insurance is to replace lost income due to death. It's really death insurance, but that's not very good marketing. 30% of the households in America today have no life insurance. Absolutely crazy as inexpensive as term insurance is. Most people that have life insurance have no idea what they own. They bought it from an old friend at school. They bought it from a relative who is now no longer in the business. 80% of the people in the life insurance business are gone within two years. They go do something else and you're stuck with whatever they sold you and your old buddy from college or whatever got you into it. And you don't even know what you own. Most people have no idea. There's basically two types of life insurance. There's term life insurance that's for a specified period. 
It's substantially cheaper and has no savings plan built into it. It's for a term. That's why they call it term life insurance. It's a five-year term plan for a five-year term or a 10-year or a 20-year or a 30-year. It's for a set term. Cash value insurance is normally for life, for your whole life. One type of cash value insurance is called whole life life insurance. And it's more expensive because it funds a savings program. As a matter of fact, it's a lot more expensive and funds a savings program. There's several types of cash value life insurance. There's whole life life insurance, which is the old-fashioned kind. Then they came along with universal life insurance and then variable universal life or VLs or VULs, variable life or variable universal life. If you hear anything like that, anytime you hear saving money inside of an insurance policy, that's a cash value type policy. Now, the most common insurance myth is that that the need for insurance is a permanent situation. The only permanent situation in the world of life insurance is your agent's permanent need for commissions. That's the only thing permanent in there. Now let's look for a couple, I think a couple that's about, say, 30 years old, uh, something like that. There's one. You guys. Okay, stand up, guys. What's your old name? Keith. Keith, good to meet you. Sean, good to meet you. And how old are you guys? 36. 36 and 29. Okay, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to make you 30. Okay, thank you. Okay? And, and I'm going to do damage. I'm going to make you 30, okay? So we've got a sweet, a great 30-year-old couple. Do y'all have kids? And what ages? Three-year-old. Three-year-old? And one and a half. And one and Oh, perfect. Perfect. Okay, so what happens in the life insurance world is, is they want us to think we need to keep life insurance for our whole life. And so we need to buy insurance for the whole thing all the way out there. But let's take this couple right here. They're 30 years old. Let's pretend for a second that we bought 20 years of level term insurance on them. Now let's visit them 20 years from now. She's not quite 50. And, and he, he, he's 50. Okay. And, and the babies were one and a half and three. So they're 21 and a half. Almost through the senior year of college. And 23, out of college, and their parents have been through Financial Peace University, so the kids know how to handle money, so they're gone. <laughs> they're not in the basement, right? And so the kids are grown and gone. Now, we teach you to never take more than a 15-year mortgage. Have you heard that? Say yes. yes. Okay. So in 20 years, would they have a mortgage? No. Would they have any debt? No. Oh, no, because debt snowball long ago would have knocked it out, right? And in the retirement college planning lesson, we're going to teach you Roth IRAs and 401ks. And you're going to be investing and saving money because you're out of debt. You're going to have money to invest. Your most powerful wealth-building tool is your income. Can you imagine in 20 years that the typical couple with the typical household income would have $700,000 to $1 million in their retirement plan? I can show you those numbers. Did you believe that? Yes. Now let's visit them. They're 50 years old. The kids are grown and gone. They have no mortgage. And there's a million dollars in mutual funds. Something happens to poor Keith. You think Sean is going to be all right? I think she's in great shape. See, by getting out of it, well, except for that part. <laughs> We're speaking financially, Keith. You will be missed, but... <laughs> so, what the deal is, is this. By getting out of debt and building wealth, their need for insurance has gone away. They've become self-insured. 
because they've got the wealth to supply her needs. And, and so this idea that you always have to have insurance is a concoction dreamed up by the insurance companies that sell insurance. So their need for insurance is going to go away. Now, my need for insurance years ago went away. But Sharon still wants me to buy some, and so we do. We call it SWI, Sharon wants it. So, thanks guys, have a seat. So that's the idea. If you do good financial planning, your need for insurance starts to dissipate by getting rid of the debts and raising your wealth. Now, if you're not going to do the stuff that we teach in here, then you're not going to do the stuff that we teach in here. So people try to cherry pick it. They go, well, that won't work. Well, it does work when you put it into the whole picture. It does work. So let, let's look at this for just a little bit. Well, let's, let's pretend that we'll use Keith and Shauna, or we might even change Keith's name to Joe, because that's what I put on the slide up here. So <laughs> let, let, let's pretend we've got a 30-year-old, and we wanted to go buy some whole life, cash value life insurance, and we wanted about $250,000 on Keith or Joe. And if we did that, it would be $178 a month right now. That's according to research our firm just did with the top five whole life life insurance companies out there. A $250,000 policy on a 30-year-old Keith would be, or a 30-year-old Joe, would be $178 a month. Now what happens is, is that over time it builds up inside of it this savings program called cash value. Have you ever heard of that? Say yes. Now, the actual averages of the top five companies are that at age 50, that Joe would have $34,000 cash value in there. That if he wanted to cash the policy out, they would hand him that. He's got a savings element to this as well. And, of course, at age 70, he wanted to retire. He could cash it out. He'd have $124,000 there set aside. Now, that's pretty cool. And that's the way they sell it. You pay that your whole life. And, and at the end of your life, you've got some savings. If you die, you've got coverage. And that's basically the way it's sold. They talk about this owning a house where term insurance is renting. And that's how the whole life life insurance agents sell this stuff. Now, let's instead look for a second at a better idea. Let's say that we wanted to buy $250,000 worth of 20-year level term on Keith or on Joe. At 30 years old, that would be $13 a month for the same amount of life insurance. Instead of $178 a month. See what I meant by it's more expensive? Which means if I'm going to spend $178, I've got $165 left over to put into something else. Let's put that in a Roth IRA, way away from life insurance people, in a good growth stock mutual fund over here. And, and let's see what happens. It ends up $164,000, not $34,000 at age 50. ends up almost $2 million versus $124,000 at age 70. Now let's see. $2 million, $125,000. Pick the big number. I'm spending $178 both ways. I got the same insurance and I got a bazillion more dollars. Now here's the big deal. Here's the reason this is the biggest ripoff since the payday loan. Payday lenders take advantage of the lower class. Whole life life insurance is the payday lender of the middle class. Here's the problem. Let's say that we're trucking along there with the whole life life insurance paying $178 for $250,000 of the coverage. At age 50, there's $34,000 in savings, and we pay extra to get that. We see that now. 
very clearly, because we could have bought that amount of insurance for $13. So, no, we paid to build this, and we can actually run a rate of return, and we'll find out then that that, that $34,000 is based on about a 3% rate of return, which is a lousy rate of return on the long haul. Here's the biggest problem with the whole thing, though. The rip-off, rip-offs. If something happens, he dies, they're going to send his beneficiary $250,000. What happened to the $34,000 he's been saving up all this time? They keep it. So you have a savings account with a horrible rate of return, and when you die, they keep your money. This is stupid. And yet it's sold like crazy. You know why it's sold like crazy? Because insurance agents are paid on premium. Their commission is calculated based on the premium. What do you want to sell if you're paying selling premium? 178 or 13? They sell the big one. Let's go all the way to the best and see what happens. Let's see what really happens here. Let's get $500,000 worth of coverage. Because he, see, here's the situation. With Keith down here, she, Shauna's got two little babies, right? Something happens to Keith, she doesn't need $250,000. That'll be gone just like that, won't it? We need to replace his income. If that's an average family, they're probably above average, but if that's an average family, then they make about, he makes about $50,000 a year. And if you have 10 times your income on you, or $500,000, we give Shauna $500,000 if something happens to Keith, and then guess what? She can invest that at 10%. If she makes 10% rate of return on her investment, well, 10% of $500,000 is $50,000. Keith, I'm sorry, you've just been replaced. And you don't want to get too much because then you have to sleep with one eye open. So the best thing you can do is let's go ahead and get the proper amount of coverage so that little family is taken care of if something happens. Get that half million. It's only $21 a month. That lowers the amount out of our $178 formula that we've got. So our investments are a little less, but we still got almost $2 million versus $125,000 at retirement with what we didn't spend on rip-off cash value insurance. And that's what we're facing here. So never buy cash value insurance. It is not a good idea. People buy this stuff as an investment. It is not a good investment. We've just proven that. We've just broken it down for you very clearly. I don't own any of it. I've never sold any of it. I can't stand the stuff. Term life insurance is the only life insurance that you should buy. Now, why not use life insurance for investments? We just walked through it. Let's walk through it one more time. The returns are historically low. When you die... With cash value, the insurance keeps the cash value. Well, with variable life, you make a little more on that day. That's going into mutual funds. They showed me the mutual funds. They're earning 12 or 13%. Yes, they're earning that. But the net payout to you is never anywhere near that on your cash value growth in a variable life. Because what happens in a variable life is anytime you walk anything down the hallway of a life insurance company, its pocket gets picked while it's going. Because they're going to fee, 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 fee. It looks like a fresh poodle. There's so many fees. <laughs> and, and by the time they do that, your net rate of return is very, very, very low. So the fees are deducted from your return are extremely high, thus creating a low return. Variable universal lives are averaging net return to the consumer less than 7%. Whole life is averaging between 2 and 4%. Lousy rates of return on long-term investments. 
Don't do it. Well, I'm going to understand this so I can sit down and explain it to my insurance agent. Why? All you do with your insurance agent, if they sold you this stuff, is just practice two words. You're fired. Well, he's my brother-in-law. All the more reason. You're fired. See, you're, you're not going to win an argument with those people. If you win the argument, they have to quit doing what they're doing. They have to quit their job. So there's no point in arguing with them. It's not going to serve any purpose. Just get your term insurance in place and drop that garbage. And don't drop it until you've got the term insurance in place. Money Magazine, Fortune Magazine, Kiplinger's, Consumer Reports, My Calculator all say cash value is the most expensive and least, least useful form of life insurance. Smart Money Magazine said it this way. They said the right type of insurance can be summed up in a single word, term. These are all the financial magazines. Everyone in the financial world hates this stuff except the people that sell it. The only proponents of it are the ones that sell it. Everyone else, all the experts, anybody who can run a calculator runs from this garbage. So, life insurance. What do we buy? Well, you need about 10 times your income on you. Like we said, it makes $50,000. we are going to put about $500,000 on Keith or Judd, right? So if you make $60,000, about $600,000. And don't forget your spouse. No, I mean, don't forget to insure your spouse. So in other words, the stay-at-home mom, does she provide economic value? You bet. Try replacing her if something happened to her. you got to hire Mary Poppins to do all this stuff, right? And so you're going to need two hundred fifty to 400000 on a stay-at-home mom, somewhere in there, to replace the lost economic benefit of her. Is she worth more than that? Oh, light years more than that. But at least get two hundred fifty to 400 k on her. Children only need enough for burial expenses. You don't buy life insurance on children. They don't make money. They cost money. Now, if you have a little startup that goes to Hollywood and makes you about a billion dollars, then insure that little puppy. But most of our kids cost us money. They don't make us money. They're a liability, financially speaking. So all you need there is enough to cover, God forbid, burial expenses. Make sure you have a new policy in place before you cancel any of your old whole life. Never cancel life insurance, old life insurance, until you have the new in your hand. Don't get in too big a hurry because you don't want to get one foot on the boat, one on the dock, and the boat leaves. You will be wet. That's not a good plan. Insurance to avoid. Credit, life, and disability insurance. Sometimes when you buy something on credit, they want to put life insurance on there. And it gets humorous sometimes. I actually was counseling a guy one time, had financed his rototiller for his garden. And he bought insurance to make sure the debt was paid off if he died. He didn't have much life insurance, but the rototiller was going to be paid for. This stuff is hugely expensive. It's sometimes 50 to 100 times the cost of term. You just saw what we could buy for $13 up there, right? And we figured out that for what he was spending on his rototiller insurance, if he had taken that same amount of life insurance money and bought term life insurance, he could have bought a $100,000 policy. Instead, he was covering about 5000 bucks. So it's somewhere around 20, 25 times too expensive. Disability insurance on debt is the same thing. You buy your insurance over here. And believe me, the lenders love to sell insurance. The banks love to sell insurance. And if the bank is selling insurance, it's expensive. You run. 
You always go to your insurance broker and let them shop and get you the best deal. You're not going to get a good deal from a lender on insurance. Well, we won't approve the loan unless you buy insurance. They cannot force you to buy it from them. They cannot turn the loan down because you didn't buy insurance from them. Except in the auto industry. Everyone else. But anyway, we're not borrowing money, so we're not worried about that. Cancer and hospital indemnity policies. Cancer is not the number one cause of death, but it is the number one gimmick we insure for. Now, if you've had cancer, you know it's not a gimmick. But the insurance stuff around it is a racket. Because here's the deal. Your health insurance policy covers cancer. Why are they not selling heart attack insurance? Some of them are now. But, but here's the deal. Your health insurance is supposed to cover that. You don't need to buy it again. That you're duplicating coverages, and well, if you got cancer, things are really bad. Yeah, they are. That's why you have a big honking emergency fund. You've got your investments going over here. You're out of debt, and you have health insurance. And then you got what it takes to fight cancer from an insurance perspective. Don't be nickel and dime to death on these gimmick policies. They're out there everywhere. Accidental death. I get twice as much if I die by accident. You're not getting anything. You're going to be dead. <laughs> and guess what? Sean doesn't need twice as much if he dies by accident as if he dies regular. He's just dead. You don't need double if you're dead by accident. It, you know, again, a gimmick. Well, it doesn't cost much, so I just put it on there. Hint, insurance companies are really good at math. If it doesn't cost much, it's because it doesn't cover much. That's how it's on $3. There's a reason. Don't be nickel and dime to death. It's crazy. No pun intended. Prepaid burial insurance. Prepaid burial policies, period. That guy called me on the air a while back. His mother just passed away. He dumped her this horrible thing. And they, in their emotions, they had overpaid big time on, on mama's funeral. And so he went in three weeks later, determined that wasn't going to happen to his family, and paid for his funeral. Forty years old. I said, are you sick? He said, no. I just didn't want that to happen to my family. So well, I appreciate that sentiment. What did you pay? $3,000. And it's for my whole life. It doesn't matter when I die. I'm covered. I said, I'll bet. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, let's take $3,000 and put it in a mutual fund in my calculator right here. And, and let's understand that if you're 40 years old and you're not sick, actuarial tables, life insurance tables, will tell us you will live to beyond 80 years old on average. Average death male age is 74, female 76, but that includes infant mortality. So once you make it to 40, you got a real good shot making it into the 80s and 90s, statistically speaking. So but let's run the numbers out then. Think about what happens. 3,000 bucks invested from age 40 to age 80 in a mutual fund. $355,000 in this account. Who are you, King Tut? <laughs> so don't pre-buy stuff like that. You can pre-plan, pre-arrange, pre-select, but don't pay for it. Have an account over here making a whole lot more than they're going to pay you on that account. And then, you know, your relatives can spend $8,000 or $10,000 or $20,000 out of the $355,000 coffin mutual fund. And I think they're going to come out pretty good. Mortgage life insurance. Another gimmick. And again, a very emotional thing, kind of like the cancer thing. Well, at least the house will be paid for. The only time you buy mortgage life insurance is if you're uninsurable. If you've been sick and you can't get life insurance, you can do a lot of mortgage life without a medical. 
And without the medical, that's a good way to at least get some insurance. But otherwise, don't buy this stuff. It's ten times more expensive, and all it is is term insurance that goes down as your balance goes down. It's decreasing term. And so you don't buy mortgage life insurance. Ten times more term for the same money. Go into a good website and search among companies and get you a good deal. Much, much better idea. And don't buy policies with big-time fancy options and all this. Watch for the bells and whistles. Accidental death. We talked about that. Here's another one. Return of premium. Lots of life insurance policies offer return of premium now. Lots of long-term care policies offer return of premium. Return of premium is if you go so many years paying the premiums and you never use the policy, we'll give you all the premiums back if you pay just this little bit extra for this return of premium feature. Take the little bit extra, put it in an investment, and you'll have a whole lot more when you return your own premiums. Don't fall for these gimmicks. Waiver of premium, an event of disability, I'm not going to have to pay the $13. I think we're going to self-insure through that, baby. We only insure the big stuff. We don't insure the little stuff. Little stuff is where they make all their money. Big stuff is where we transfer risk. That's our defensive game plan. The last thing I want to talk to you about is you got to have a will. 78% of Americans die without a will. This is ridiculous. Get a written will. And I recommend you put a legacy drawer in your home. That's what we call it. In the study in my office is a file drawer. In that drawer are the wills, the life insurance policies, the disability policies, the car titles, all the real estate information. Everything financially about my life is in there and instructions on each one, who to call, how to handle things. If something happens to me, Sharon can walk in there and it's all in one place. She's not trying to find it and dig it up out of the backyard and all this other stuff. That is one way I say I love you to Sharon Ramsey is our life is prepared that way. That is diligence. Diligence. And the Bible says the diligent prosper. So be diligent in these areas. Be wise in these areas. Now be sure you're doing your budget. People ask me all the time, Dave, where's, where's term insurance in the baby steps? Where's electricity in the baby steps? Where's food in the baby steps? Where's your rent in the baby steps? It's not there. It's a budget that I you have to have a budget that includes taking care of your life, and that includes health insurance, long-term disability insurance, term life insurance, and you make you know your car insurance, your homeowner's insurance. You probably already have those two. So go adjust those deductibles, polish up your plan, get yourself square around where you're right where you need to be on all these things. Let me tell you what happens. When all that stuff is real clean and that legacy drawer is there, there's a place in you that relaxes, and you're able to turn and become more productive in your life. You start getting a different layer to financial peace. Because you never know what's going to happen. Scott and I met at Need Maritime Academy, which is one of the Merchant Marine Academies. We moved all the way out in Texas two weeks after we got back from our honeymoon. It was very exciting. We did a lot of traveling. We went down into the Caribbean. Our last trip that we took was to Paris. That was our thing. We, we were very adventurous. We wanted to experience those things with each other. That's why we got married so young and, and experienced so much. I was the one who brought the debt, primarily. I had $80,000 in student 
ones. And then shortly after our marriage, we did the typical, you know, just graduating college. I got a truck, and then I got a car, and that brought us up to $120,000 in total debt. It took us two years, you know, to dig ourselves out of that hole, but we just wanted to create that long-term legacy for us and our family. In January 2017 is when we found out we were pregnant. We needed to get life insurance, especially because of the fields that we worked in. You know, everybody tells you how exciting it is to have a baby, but you don't really understand the magnitude of it until you do. Have a 
you have to be in the right mindset when it comes to you understanding how to be efficient with insurance. If you can look at your car insurance right now, you don't have $100,000 on personal, $300,000 on liability, and $100,000 on your car or the person in your personal, you're probably underinsured. Because if you have a wreck and somebody's in your car as a friend, chances are, even if somebody hits you, if they don't have insurance, that person's going to probably sue you. So what he was telling you, if you have the 25, 50, 25, or 2,500, you're going to probably be underinsured. If they, because if they get $100,000, you're going to have to pay the difference if you don't have 25000 in personal. You know, it's sad, but you will get a judgment. And you can say, well, I don't have the money. So, but as soon as you get the money, they're going to come and knock it. So make sure you understand that you want to cover injuries of the individual. You want to cover the total of all the injuries to the people. So if it's, you hit somebody, they got hurt, you want to, that's the big piece. And then you also want to cover damages to property. And the recommended is 100000 to cover the injuries, 300000 to cover total injuries and people, and 100000 to cover damage to property. 100, 300, and 100. When it comes to your medical, we talked about having the $1,000 emergency fund. You want to get your deductibles to 1000 but you want to make sure you get quotes both with a $250 deductible and 1000 Because like he said, sometimes it's not worth it. And the general rule is you want to be able to save, you know, he did what's called a spread. He basically said if you drop your deductible to a, from, if you go up from $250 to $1,000, but your insurance policy only come down $25 or $50, it's not worth doing it. You know, you want to see a big savings. But all these little things will go into you having additional money for your budgets. If you buy right, it's almost like being a smart shopper because it seems like when you listen to everything, companies are trying to find a spread in everything. A spread is I can sell you something for $10 that I can buy for $2, whether it's insurance, whether it's a pair of shoes. So you have to be smart and you have to make sure you're paying the right amount on everything. It's also important to know that saving money is paramount. You have to save money. And, you know, we always think that we're fine if I can pay my bills. But a lot of times we forget to pay ourselves. And all this stuff, you're able to buy at the right price when you have cash saved. I had one person write me and say, well, I couldn't save $1,000. But that's a part of being a star student. You know, I understand the circumstances, but if you all remember... You had to find a way to get that first thousand. You had to do a yard sale. You had to go work some extra hours. There were no excuses. And I understand that people have challenges, but hey, that's life. But you have to start thinking about the fact that if you're allowing yourself to overpay for everything, you can never pay yourself. So I want us to really make sure that whether we negotiate a car, we're negotiating insurance, we're negotiating investments. People come to you want to invest your money. You have to negotiate fees. Do not just be a person who pay because you're trying to get a bill paid. Make sure you don't overpay for what you're buying. That's why the first thing in this class is you got to get out of debt. Because when you got a credit card and you're holding a balance for 10 years, just think about this. If you bought something for $1,000, in 10 years, you paid almost three times. You paid $3,000 for that item if you're just paying the minimum. And that $3,000, you see right now what your money would do when you are investing in the market. 
They have mutual funds right now that did 40 and 50 percent last year from from the pandemic to now. Some did 70 percent. Even if you had a growth fund in your 401k, if you look at last 12 months, you probably did 40 percent. If you got a good one, you should have had at least 30 to 40 percent in a aggressive growth mutual fund. So I want us to look at all of our insurance. How many learned something different that they didn't know? Okay, so one or two people, share with me something that you did not know that you learned. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, right. You can't. Yeah, but you pray that you make it to open the room. <laughs> all right. So people at home, she didn't know about how the cancer insurance and all those add-ons they're selling and temporary disability. That duck. The reason why that duck making money because people are buying temporary disability. Okay, come on, Clay. Right. So he's talking about replacement insurance. That's exactly right. Now, on that, you have to always maintain the right amount to replace your house. And what we, what we have to understand, insurance companies get very quiet once you're paying the premiums. You know, they just send you a renewal and you don't even look at it. And a lot of times they are raising your premiums and lowering your coverage. So always look at those renewals, even in your car insurance. They raise it, and you look up, you start with 100, 300, and 100, and you're down to 250. They are always looking to change their risk and make more money. How many of you all have disability? If you have a family, you got to get disability. If you have an income, you got to, because disability is going to only pay you through the government $800 a month at the most. And if you have a family, you need to have disability so you can get 65% of your income. And that's one that I didn't even know because I had Affleck when I was working. Because I was wearing my yeah, came and said, man, you know, I was playing basketball. And I was like, man, I break a leg. You got to get $4,000. I said, yeah. And I could have had long term. That's something you really need to do immediately. Don't procrastinate on long term if you got a family. Don't procrastinate on life insurance. You saw how cheap it was. Everybody here got term? Good. Has anybody had a salesperson come to them to sell them whole life? There you go. Yeah, yeah. When they see you around 30 or 40, they're not really going to come when you're up in age sometimes. It's going to be too expensive in most cases. But it's really key to see the difference and how that money was split out. That's why I wanted to see it on paper. The difference in what they're making. There's a reason why insurance companies look like Vegas when you look at their office building. They are winning. That means they're not selling you something they're going to lose. So I haven't talked about annuities, but I feel the same way about annuities. All those things are to compensate for poor financial stewardship. Why do you need to pay somebody to save your money when you can save your own money? Ignorance creates fear. And you don't have to know everything, but you got to know that there are some solid companies that you can buy. And those companies are going to be in business when you die in most cases. Buy companies that you know Walmart not going anywhere. And like I say, they are being very proactive. You saw when online came, everybody worried about grocery stores. What are these companies doing? They are competing. Okay? Anybody else? Go ahead. Well, no, don't think about it that way. Okay, so the question is, as you get older, your term life is a term. It's a set amount of time. So, and even when you pay these other insurance, they're buying term life. But they're factoring in a way to pay the premiums off the additional money you paid. So, if you've been paying for 15 years, where 15 years ago, your premium might have been $20. They'll charge you $150. They're investing that money. But when you get to be 50, now your premium is $150 a month term. So now over all those years, they've been getting the extra money. They made, you saw the numbers, <laughs> they're making 
three and four hundred thousand dollars off your money, they can pay that premium. So the deal is that what is the need? Insurance always solve a need. So you don't buy insurance if you don't have a need. So what I mean by that is if you have savings and your kids are grown, they're self-sufficient and your husband is fine, and your kids out of the house or your house is paid for and there's no need if you die for your income to be replaced, you don't need insurance. Now, you can say, I'm going to get burial insurance, but it's $10,000, really. Because to be honest with you, I've never seen a person get out the casket and enjoy their funeral. And if they did do that, everybody in the funeral going to be... <laughs> so who is the funeral for? Right. So you give the person the flowers while they're here. Don't go trying to do a big funeral. Hey, spouses cry hard. But hey, do not get emotional because that's how they get you. That's why funeral directors making big money. They play off the emotions. So your term life is four seasons. So if you have a need where your loss of income is going to affect your family, then you buy term. But if you've made it over the 15 years, then you bought the right insurance for the right amount and you did not lose. Because the people who buy a whole life, they lose it. From what I saw, if I got $125,000, I could have had $1.9 million, I lost. So don't feel like it was a waste. It satisfied the need to cover your family for the time they needed coverage. Any other questions? Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Listen, let me ask you. <laughs> so how do you control your assets after death? There you go. There you go, will. That's why the will is so important. You can put in your will, $10,000 of my life insurance goes to pay for my funeral, and I want it all spent on my funeral. So we saw a big entertainer prince die. No will. He fought his whole life to get his masters and all this stuff that he was fighting for, but he had no legacy. He had no children. He had, and so many women came out telling me he had children by him, but that just shows you. I ain't going to say nothing about that. But that just shows you he wasn't thinking about the legacy. He didn't care. He was gone. That's a high level of consciousness when you say, I'm leaving here and I don't care what happens. I fought while I was here. He was a very, very frugal guy when it came to spending money and giving money. You earn money from Prince. But when he died, all the stuff he fought for went right back to the same people he was fighting. But if you want to control your assets, you better have a will. And if you have more than, at this point, $11 million, you better have a trust. Because there's a thing called gift tax which is a lifetime, you have a lifetime limit right now of 11 million, which they're going to drop back down to 5 million, or it used to be 1 million. And so if you have a business and its market value is $5 million and the lifetime gift tax allowance is a million, you got to come up with 40% tax on that $4 million. That's why a lot of times when people die, they cannot keep the business. They have to sell the business to pay the taxes. But if it was in a trust, then it's not taxed. So to answer your question, yeah, you got to have a will and you got to make sure you don't have anybody that you have married a second go around, especially second wives, that are going to get you signing something while you on the bed. <laughs> I mean, listen, if you marry, I heard Pastor Nathaniel say, you go get married again. You know, I was like, if you get married, you marry a young girl, you better make sure you got some strong provisions to make sure that if you're incapacitated, you got a legal team that's watching your stuff. Because that happens all the time. But the problem was he did not do proper preparation into making sure that he, maybe he didn't care. Because again, the funeral is for the people who are here. That man gone. Yeah. So here's the deal. So if you have assets, right, and you have insurance, you make the beneficiary your insurance your estate. 
So when it goes to your estate, your will controls what your estate is to do. Now, you can buy a trust, and that means that's a separate. See, the thing about a will and a trust is different. A will is a legal document that says something, but every legal document can be contested. A trust is an entity that's nobody. It's just a box that owns your assets. Just like when they used to have the cameras, where if you ran a red light, the reason why that fell out, because if you go to court and say, I want to plead not guilty, and I need the camera to testify, the camera can't testify. It's an object. That's why they're gone now. You could fight those. You had to know how to fight, but you could fight those cameras. You know what I'm saying? But most people paid them because you had to go back in time. But here you could fight those. So with a trust, it's a legal entity. So you cannot sue an entity because it's nothing you can't do. It's nobody to sue. It holds your assets. So, depending you know, on how much money you have, because a trust, they are kind of expensive, or will, and make your will go to your, that's very, very, very minor estate planning. Very minor. It's not extravagant. If you're worried about your assets after you die, you have to make the preparation to do a will. And again, even though if they contest it, it's hard to win a will if it's documented correct. And they got to have money to do that. And if you married a second wife and you have a will, you can leave her nothing. You can leave all your money to your kids. But if you have a second wife and you don't have a will, she gets one third of your assets and any kids get two thirds. So if you got some bad kids and you got a great, that's what you see with these celebrities. You always see, look at entertainers. You see fights because of that. And you see people talking about the wheel change and all that. I mean, you know, it's crazy. So bottom line is, it's true what Brother Clay said. It is who you married, but sometimes that's a surprise. <laughs> you don't know. But at the same time, a will controls your assets. A trust controls your assets after you die. So that's how you handle it. It's simple. Just do a will. Any other questions? All right, great. So next month we're going to do, how many, I think we can skip the one about retirement. You all saw that already. Everybody in this class was at the uh, first series, right? Okay, well, we'll do the retirement. I think that's really important. Yeah, we'll do the retirement. It's more about investing. And so it's really important that you have your investments in line. But I want to stress, nothing's more important than getting out of debt because that frees up your money. You hear him keep saying that, but you see how we're in perpetual debt by just how companies market to us and come to us and feed on our emotions and get us with this stuff we don't need. So look at all of your expenditures and make sure you are spending the right amount. And go on all your things, like your medical, your life, medical insurance. Make sure you can raise your deductible and see what it saves you. And see how you, when you have that budget. That's why that budget, so when you see you can save an extra $100 a month on your medical insurance at your job, now you can put that on somewhere. Even if you have everything paid, you can now invest it. So just go through everything. Make sure you spend the right amount. Make sure you have everything planned. And make sure you're directing every dollar with intentionality and you will be all right. And you also see, just like George preached, you will also see that God start working in your life to add increase when you're being a great steward. All this information is for you to apply it. Do not take this stuff and sit on it. Do not sit here and go, man, yeah, I'm going to do that disability. And then you go out there and something happens, you now need your disability. And you could have had you know, $50,000 a year, you're going to get $9,600 a year. Right now, the government has just paid out a lot of money during this pandemic, trillions of dollars. What I'm expecting to happen is the government is going to start finding ways to get that money back. First of all, they're going to start prosecuting all these people that took money the wrong way. 
The second thing they're going to do, they're going to start raising taxes. And taxation is not just in raising your income tax. It's raising and decreasing those entitlements, like the things disability, Medicaid. So my thing is, do the best you can with what you have. You know, don't depend on the government because, you know, they are, you know, we have a good system for welfare, you know, for assistance with poor. But I work in that medical field. Some of the things I see... You can throw money at stuff, but if you're dealing with a person that doesn't have a vested interest, you know, the government doesn't really manage the companies until there's a huge problem. So it's almost like if I can pay a person and make them accountable to me, that's one thing. But when that person is accountable to a caseworker who got 20 other people, you might get lost in the shuffle. So the thing is, do it the best you can with what you've been given stewardship over as far as what you're making. Save yourself, pay yourself at least 10%. Starting out, if you get up to 20%, that's what you should be doing. That's really the plan. And stop giving your money to these companies. I mean, when I look at this stuff, I'm like, man, this is a racket. And they are very sophisticated. So it just don't stop, you know, at sort of lower level. They got it at all level. And the higher up you go, the slicker they are. Meaning they are great, great salespeople. I don't want to say they are crooked, but they're just great salespeople. Oh, they're great. It's great. They're great, boy. They're the nicest people. No McDonald's workers when you get high-end stuff. The folks are all Chick-fil-A. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm put that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, sometimes you go and people talk themselves out of your business. They're poor service. You know what I mean? But people who really try and get your money, they are very diligent. Okay, any other questions? Who wants more information on the Cube? How many of you all saw that as a, a value? Okay. So go online and just Google it. And it comes up, and I, I think you'll really like it. And I think it's a 30-day trial, but if it's not, it's still worth it. I mean, there are a lot of tutorials. There are some tutorials, like 20 minutes. I didn't want to show that. I just want to show it so you can go and look at it. They got them all on YouTube. But when you go to the website, you'll see the, they do a comparison with, against Mint, all those. And it's very safe. The thing that a lot of people who are doing paper, they're worried about their bank accounts being tied to a, an app. But you got to remember, if you got a lock on your phone, a person, it's hard to break a code to get into your phone. But you're still not responsible for somebody to steal your money from a bank. You just got to be able to prove it. So if you lose your phone, you call your bank. Freeze my account. <laughs> but, you know, it's hard to lose your phone and your car because they got to have a card too and get into your phone. So I just want to admonish everyone to get that so you can look at all those. And like I said, if you can save extra $200 to invest for your future, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. Any other questions? For the cube? Okay, so the cube is actually, it's similar to that. It transfers. So like if you're at the store, you have a budget. You have an outline. Say, okay, I want to spend $1,000 a month on grocery, right? When you go to the grocery store, you get to the line, and your bill is for this visit is $160. You type in $160, and then when you take the cube card and you use it as a credit card, it then populates and decreases that $1,000 down to $840. See what I'm saying? Right there on the spot. Vice versa, if you said, I'm not supposed to buy no shoes this month, and you end up buying shoes, you're going to say, hey, you over budget. Do you want to do this? And you got to say, no, nah, I ain't supposed to be doing this. Yeah, it ties into your budget, but it's instant. It's right there at the, at the time that you're doing it. It's like a debit card. Yes, debit card. But it can, in some cases, it has credit card on it as well. But remember this class. Remember this class. We're not supposed to be using credit cards. So to be honest with you, there's a credit card amount on there that you can spend. So you may have a credit card that you may pay in every month. So whatever you budget, it, it will go attached to all your institutions. And you probably can direct it to the credit card. 
but it was mostly bank. And this is really for your day-to-day spending. Because you're supposed to be writing checks. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. No, no. So, okay, man, here, here you go. So, so the first thing it says, you tie your bank to the card. So you, you have a checking account, right? So you go to the grocery store and you're buying something, right? You use your card and you type in with your phone what you're spending. Like it gives an okay that you want this to happen. And then when you put your card in there, it goes from the bank to the card to the grocery store. And then it populates on your thing. Right now, if you have something else, it'll populate after the fact. Do you pay your mortgage with a credit card or with a check? Okay, yeah. So your mortgage, you play online that same bank account, it would then populate your thing. Yeah. So you wouldn't use the card on that. It would see both. Yeah, it would see both. Yeah. So the question I was saying was, I'm pretty sure you can, but you're going to have to tie it to what it's for. When I registered, it only asked for one institution. So that's something I have to look at because I only did one institution. But I, yeah. But again, this card is for your monthly spending. So what I would do if I had a card is I would use one account for all my spending. So if I have an account that's holding money, then I would just transfer it to my bank and then so I can keep it in my budget. So, like with you, if you have three bank accounts and you say, I got money saved for a vacation. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that comes out electronically. Okay. So, yeah. 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 I think you probably can if you got accounts that are being transferred electronically. I don't think you can do it with the card. I can't see how the card can then go and switch different banks. But it may. I'm just not sure. That's a good question, though. You see what I'm saying? If you got a car, I don't know, but I know if you have an electronic account and you're doing it online, you can show that bank, that institution on there. I didn't put but one institution on, on mine, so that's what I'm saying. When you look at the tour, you can ask that. And they also have an 800 number or at least a text and talk. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. He said when you put it in your phone, you say you would know what's going on with the accounts. Yeah, yeah. Everything will flow to that budget. It's a single budget, and it's really called cash envelopes. So each envelope is supposed to be part of like what your home is, what your car. Then it also had things like shoes and little things. So you can do utilities. Like, you know, when you got a piece of paper, I just don't know how people do it on paper. If I got to pay all my water bills, I got to go write, okay, water bill. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Man, that's kind of time to do. You are listening to brothersoftheword.com. This was session 7 of the Render My Money 2021 series by Gerald Render. This message is number 4531. That's 4531 to listen to thousands of free messages or to send this message number 4531 to a friend. Go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to IWantToGive.com. That's IWantToGive.com. Listen to BrothersOfTheWord.com often because, brother, you need the Word. Brothers of the Word.